Yan Mei, William, Patricia, Zilin. Let's give them all a big hand. Uh, before I start, let me just confirm that I don't have COVID. Okay, I'm probably just a close contact again. And I'm following the SOPs that our church has agreed on for this period. So this is just a precaution. Okay, so no need to worry. I, I do wish I could be there with all of you, especially to see the skit uh, during this family worship Sunday. But I do know the story. Okay, so kids, I, I hope you enjoyed that little story just now. And if you can remember, Bear found a huge hamburger, which was very valuable to him. And what would you do if you found a hamburger on the ground? You won't eat it, right? Because it's dirty, you found it on the ground, you're not an animal. But what would you do if you found something very, very valuable to you? Something very you found very important? Uh, people would usually say, finders keepers, right? Especially if nobody is coming to look for it. They would just keep it. So, Bear could have kept the whole hamburger to himself and eaten everything. Could have eaten the bun, the lettuce, the meat patty, everything that oh, smells so good. Now, some animals can only eat meat. They're called carnivores, like tigers, lions. Uh, other animals can only eat vegetables. They're called herbivores, like horses or like bunny. But bears are omnivores, which means that they, can, they don't just eat veggie and they don't just eat meat, they can eat both, like human beings too. So Bear didn't need to share the burger with bunny and duck. He could have eaten it all by himself. Nobody was telling him what to do with that burger. But Bear, even though it smelled so good, the burger smelled so good and he could have eaten it all for himself, he didn't just think about himself because he loved his friends. And because of that love, he shared with his friends. And so they loved one another and they continued to think of each other and help each other to find food as they needed. Okay, so out of the love that they have for each other, they met each other's needs. Okay, so the lesson here, not just for the kids, but for all of us, the takeaway message today is that we love one another by meeting one another's needs. Okay, so if we forget everything that you uh, that is shared today, we love one another by meeting one another's needs. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we listen, as I speak, Lord, will you use the attitudes of our hearts, the words of my mouth, May it all be pleasing to you for your purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the past few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Acts. And we saw how the church was born after the Holy Spirit came upon the believers. And the church continued to grow as they preached and performed miraculous healing by the power of the Holy Spirit. And just like how the religious authorities had reacted to Jesus and his ministry, these same People, these same religious leaders, same high priests, also persecuted the apostles. And we will look at this more in the coming weeks. But today, we see a snapshot of the Church of Jesus Christ. And so I've titled this message, The Church as Intended, because this is clearly a moment in the early church when it was truly following in the footsteps of Jesus. 
up until now, the church has been preaching the good news, healing the sick, enduring persecution, sacrificially loving one another. And all these are things that Jesus himself did during his time on earth. And so the church was intended to continue the ministry of Jesus to the world. But today I want to focus on that last bit, the display of sacrificial love for one another. And although we are called to love our neighbours and our enemies and to be fishers of men outside the church, there is a special emphasis in the Bible for the love that we show to fellow believers inside the church. Now, some of us might struggle with loving those outside the church. You know, we find it easier to meet the no the sorry we find it easier to meet the needs of those who are uh, like one of us, okay? And we we find it easier to show special treatment to those who are like us, like family. But some of us might also struggle with loving those within the church because we feel that the genuine needs are outside the church and those within the church are privileged and entitled. Now, whichever group you might identify more with, you know, somewhere along the spectrum, the Bible particularly tells us to meet the needs of fellow believers in Christ. If we look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, it says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? John chapter 13, verse 35 also says, By this, all people will know, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And we remember this verse uh, always from Monday Thursday. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 to 21 says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And, if he, and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 to 10. Let us not grow weary, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And so within the context of all these verses that I read just now, these are all directly referring to other believers, those inside the church. Now, please don't misunderstand. This is not an either-or thing. Okay, we don't neglect those outside the church and only juggle our own people. You know, definitely not. We also have to love and care for those who are outside the church. But we cannot say that we are being faithful disciples of Jesus if we ignore the needs of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and only focus on the needs of those outside the church. This is really an issue of integrity, that our love for those outside the church should not be inconsistent with our love for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, let's look at the church as God intended. A church that is so ready to meet one another's needs that there were no needy persons among them. And the question is not 
what but why that uh, I, I want to share about today. I suspect some of you may be thinking, you know, I, I already know all this. Uh, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know I'm supposed to share with others. I know I'm supposed to love others, uh, especially fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But knowing what to do is the easy part. Actually doing it is the hard part, right? And a lot of times, the thing that really motivates us to do something is really the why rather than the what. Okay, so let's look at three reasons why the Church of Acts was able to meet one another's needs the way they did. And the first reason is because they were one in heart and mind. They were united, but not just in heart, but also in mind. Now these words, heart and mind, it goes beyond what we usually associate with the heart and the mind. Uh, usually nowadays, when we think of the heart, we think of feelings and emotions, right? Uh, when we think of the mind, we think of logic, rational thought. But the biblical understanding of the heart is more than just emotions. It also involves things like our morality and our will. And the Greek word that's translated as mind also involves the identity of a person, their soul. Okay, so the believers being one in heart and mind didn't mean that uh, didn't didn't mean that they just felt united, or that they had similar thoughts and thought the same way. Now remember the diversity that we have as individual members of the body of Christ. Most of the time, we don't think like one another, and a lot of times we don't feel very united either. No, the believers were united in heart and mind, meaning that they were united by their holiness. They were united in their choices. They were united in their identity as one body in Christ. They were united as in all of their being, not just how they felt or how they thought. Now, one important thing to note whenever we look at this passage, we need to know that the early church was not practicing communism. Okay, don't misunderstand. They were practicing selflessness. Now, many people usually misunderstand this passage to promote some sort of communism. See, they, they don't have their own possessions. Uh, they, they share everything in common. But they didn't, if, if you read carefully, they, the, the believers in the, in the book of Acts didn't see their property as common possessions which is the basic definition of communism. It says uh, in verse 32, it's very clear, all the believers were, in heart and mind, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Okay, so the... Okay, the, the literal Greek translation goes something like this. No one said anything that they possessed to be his own. Okay, let me say that again. Huh? No one said anything that they possessed to be his own. Okay, meaning that although it belonged to them, it was their possessions, they didn't consider it to be their personal and private property because of how they shared it so readily with others. Okay, they considered what they had to also 
uh, belong to others and not just be private and personal to their own. Okay, in how they considered it. Okay, so this verse is not talking about ownership rights. It is talking about selflessness, that they owned it, but because they were so selfless about what they owned, they readily shared it with others. Uh, unlike our modern individualistic society, the believers at Acts didn't see themselves as purely individual people. The ego, the self, was not the focus. Rather, they saw themselves as one body. And so when different parts of the same body had needs, they saw it as a need that impacted the whole body. Just like how Paul wrote about the whole body suffering when one part suffers you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. When it came to one another's needs, there was no such thing for the early church, there was no such thing as not my problem. In their unity, they magnified the one body instead of the individual self. And we saw two weeks back how this unity was made possible, you know, by the presence of the same Holy Spirit in each of them. And so keeping that in mind, look at what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Okay, so we see the practical fruit of the unity that the Spirit brings to the body of Christ. And so today we see one of these practical fruits, a selfless concern for the larger body of Christ. Now, all of us have various needs. We know them very well. Right? We, we need money for food or, or clothing or shelter. Uh, we need friends and companionship. We need affirmation, words of encouragement. We even need rebuke and correction, but we need it in a gentle and loving way. We need to love others. We need to be loved. We know how important all these different needs are to us, you know, and how painful it is when these needs are not met. Well, the body of Jesus Christ is made up of individuals like you and me. And we are individuals with similar needs. And so when individual members of the body suffers, whether it's you or me or others, the whole body suffers together. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. And so friends, I challenge you, the next time you come across a brother or sister in Christ in need, would you prayerfully consider how to respond with the same concern that you would have if you had the same need? Remember that you are both part of the same body in Christ. And so let's look at 
our first question today for reflection or for quiet discussion among yourselves. Think of a need you're aware of in a fellow believer. How does that affect the rest of the body of Christ? Okay, and for the children, think of another kid in church who needs something. How would you feel if you also needed the same thing? Okay, let's spend two minutes on this. So the first reason they were able to meet one another's needs the way they did in Acts chapter 4 was because they were one in heart and mind. The next reason is because they were stewards of God's blessings. Now earlier I said that the believers of the Acts church didn't see their property as common possessions. right? They weren't practicing communism. But the Christian perspective of ownership is really one of stewardship. What is stewardship? It's been about one and a half years since we last looked at our Methodist social principles and we covered the, the concept of stewardship there. So just in case any of you missed that one or forgot, uh, here's a quick refresher. Stewardship is when you manage someone else's property for that person's ultimate purpose or benefit. You can use it, you can invest it, but ultimately, doesn't belong to you. Sort of like being a trustee of something. Okay, And so that's what our property really is. God's creation temporarily entrusted to our care, but ultimately still belonging to Him. The Creator always has ownership rights, and so God, as creator of everything good, is also owner of everything good. But God chose to entrust the earth 
into man's care when he told man to subdue and fill the earth in Genesis. And so just like how the, the needs that need to be met in our lives go beyond material needs, the concept of stewardship also goes beyond material possessions and money. You know, stewards of our time, stewards of our spiritual gifts, stewards of the gospel and the mysteries of God. And so when the church of Acts didn't claim that any of their possessions was their own in verse 32, what they're really saying is that they are being good stewards of God's blessings. They were using the owner's property for the owner's purposes. If we are able to see ourselves as mere stewards of God's blessings, we would be a little more ready to let go of what we have because it makes sense to use what belongs to God to meet the needs of His children as part of the body of Christ. But there is a dangerous misconception about stewardship that I need to mention, and that is stinginess disguised as stewardship. Now again, I'm not just talking about money or material possessions. This also applies to things like time, talents, and energy. In church, we're often reminded to be good stewards, and we have to be wise about how we spend our time and resources. And that's true. We do need to be wise about those things. But remember, the purpose of stewardship is the ultimate benefit and purpose of the true owner. Sometimes we might be unwilling to spend time or money on someone or something when it is for God's purposes. And so when that happens, it is no longer about stewardship and it's more about hoarding. Since God is generous with his grace and blessings in so many ways, true stewardship will also reflect his generous character. And so Christian stewardship is really responsible generosity. The question is really not how much we're spending, but what are we spending it on? The, quest, the, the, sorry, the money and the time and other resources that each of us individually have to uh, manage, when we are generous with them in the right place at the right time for the right purpose, that's when we are good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. And meeting the needs of fellow brothers and sisters ranks high in the list of things we should be doing with our resources, especially when they are needs that we uniquely are in a position to meet. Now, there's one more thing I want to point out, and that is the temporariness of stewardship. Part of the reason the believers in Acts chapter 4 were able to sell land and houses to distribute to those in need was because they were living out their faith, their belief that this world was not all that there was, that they had an eternal home, Jesus was coming again, and this world as they knew it would pass away. Owning property back then was not something that everyone could do. Okay, How comfortable and how easy a person's life was, how popular and respected they were as people, uh, even what sort of job they would have, their career, all this would depend on how much property they owned. And so when they sold what they have to share uh, and give to other brothers and sisters, it wasn't a case of 
okay, let's just buy, sell uh, multiple properties that they have in different countries for investment. Market price is high. Uh, cash surplus buried somewhere. Okay, can sell this one. Uh, liquidate some assets so we can uh, share with others. It wasn't just that. Selling property like farmland usually meant putting both their present as well as their future at risk because no farmland, no farm. A lot of them were farmers. And so the only reason the believers in X could do what they did in sharing with one another was be because they saw the things of this world were just temporary. They knew they could not bring all these possessions with them to their true eternal home. They were ready to sacrifice even their own financial security and stability for the needs of others. Now, I'm not telling you to go and sell all your property and give to a church or give to the poor and needy unless God has clearly told you to do that, in which case, you know, go and obey God. But I am saying that we do not need to hold on to our material possessions so tightly because if there's one thing that we can count on in this life is that it will end one day. Death will loosen our grip on the things of this world completely. Even in stewardship, all these things are temporary. But meeting the needs of others, that has a lasting impact in the kingdom of God. Now let's have a look at our second question for today. Remembering that person that you thought of in question one, what is one blessing from God that you are a steward of and how can you use it responsibly and generously to meet that person's need? Okay, and for the children, are there other kids in church that you can share with or help in some way? Okay, let's spend some time on this.
Let's move on to the third and last reason the X church was able to meet one another's needs. And this is because they were recipients of God's grace. And one of the three reasons we've looked at so far, uh, out of the, the three reasons, this is perhaps the most compelling one. Because nothing motivates a person more than empathy. The best people to minister to drug addicts are former drug addicts. And the best people to minister to abuse victims are those who have gone through abuse themselves and experienced freedom and healing. And so being a recipient of God's grace means receiving His favor even though we don't deserve it. And so all believers are in the same boat of receiving God's grace because none of us deserve anything but the consequences of our own sin. And because the Church of Acts saw the grace of God so powerfully at work in them, they responded by being channels of that grace that overflowed to others. We share because God shared. We give because God gave. And we meet needs because God met our needs. He didn't just give us blessings or provide us with what we need, but He also gave us the sacrifice of His only Son, Jesus. And if God would not hold back even His only Son, then as recipients of His generosity and grace, we should not hold back anything of lesser value. What else would drive the believers of Acts to meet the needs of others at their own expense? And if we follow along this example of responding to God's grace, we need to consider the needs of others from their perspective and God's perspective, not just our own perspective. If we only look at the needs of others through our own perspective of what we consider to be valid needs, then what we think is needed for others may not necessarily match what they actually feel that they need. For example, if I've never struggled with depression and I think that someone struggling with depression just needs to get out of the house and I, I force them to go to a party okay, against their will, uh, that's not going to be meeting their need. It's not going to be helpful at all for them. But if I looked at their need from their perspective, I would see that it, what, what I think their need is doesn't always match what they actually need or what they, they feel they actually need. Now, of course, we need to exercise wisdom when it comes to meeting needs so we don't end up enabling unhealthy addictions or reinforcing destructive behavior. But again, the objective is responsible yet generous stewardship. And that's why empathy is so important when it comes to meeting one another's needs. It's why God came to earth as a human life lived in humility, even facing human weaknesses and temptations. He empathized with us and met our needs perfectly. Now, all that I've been talking about so far is very well and good. I'm sure nobody will object to the fact that we need to meet one another's needs because of unity, because of stewardship, as a response to receiving God's grace. 
But all that is head knowledge, right? And until it flows through our hearts into our hands and our feet, it is not love in action. It's just hypothetical faith. But if you look at verse 33 of Acts chapter 4, you can see that there is a direct correlation between faith and works. Okay, for the early church, in their experience of God's grace, their faith was strengthened and they were moved to live out their lives as a testimony to the resurrection of Jesus with great power. And also we know the book of James unpacks the theology behind the generosity of the ex-church when it talks about how works does not equal to faith, but it is instead evidence of genuine and living faith. And so that's really what the Acts of Church was doing. Uh, Acts of Church, Church of Acts was doing. They were living out their faith in Jesus, who taught them to love one another as I have loved you. So, point to ponder. Are we being generous to the point of sacrifice, like Jesus? Or do we still need a reason to have compassion on another, other than the fact that God had compassion on us? Let's look at our last question for today. What is one aspect of God's love for you? For example, uh, is love being patient or, or generous or sacrificial? What is one aspect of God's love for you that you would like to have for others? Okay, and for the children, what is one way you can love others the way Jesus loves you? Okay, let's spend two minutes on this.
In conclusion, I think it's no accident that Luke mentions the testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus right in the middle of this passage in uh, about sharing their possessions with one another. I believe Luke is making the same point that John was making when he wrote in John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you will love one another. Because when other people saw their love for one another and how they met each other's needs, it would bear witness about whom they followed. And so may those around us come to see and know Jesus by how we treat fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, by how we meet one another's needs. And so I'd like you to know we love one another by meeting one another's needs. I'd like you to be good stewards of God's gifts and grace. And will you do testify on the love of Jesus by how we love one another in action. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.